Blog Talk Radio. Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon, or Rognon, and uh, tonight I'll review and discuss the 1982 bestseller, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, by Michelle Michael, uh, Blaget, uh, Richard Lee, and Henry Lincoln. Now, this is the book that generated The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, 2003 and is the first mainstream modern speculation on Jesus being married to Mary Magdalene and possibly having heirs who become the Grail family, and, according to the authors, become the magical holy bloodline of the legendary Merovingian dynasty of French kings back in the days of King Arthur. Now, this bloodline is perpetuated and protected by a medieval secret society and that supposedly still exists in modern France, the Priory of Zion, or Zion. And the book is, of course, a doorstopper, and it's not very well organized. And they try to make it read like a detective story rather than a straightforward documentary presentation. Uh, So unless you're fascinated by the subject, you may get bogged down with all the mystery before you reach the solution. But if you stick with it, Uh, the overall effect is convincing, and to devout Christians, perhaps shocking. There are some problems, not uh, with the idea of the Grail family, that's very well presented, but with the authenticity of the Priory of Zion itself. Yes, there was one, perhaps there was one back in medieval times. Some scholars say that they just cooked, cooked it up. But it is possible there was something like that. There were an awful lot of, uh, you know, uh, orders of chivalry in those days. But is today's fraternity and its family leadership directly connected with the early Merovingians? In any case, the book is a great introduction to this fascinating subject. It certainly got me into looking into my old French antecedents. I discovered the Merovingian golden bees on the Rognon family crest, and I began to began to wonder if I had a little of this magical blood. Now, recall Hamlet, he said, to be is not to be, and I wonder if he was a Merovingian. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll stay with us, and we'll explore the mystery of the Grail family. Now, before we get into this very controversial subject, let us make a few things very clear. 
Yes, there might have been something called the Priory of Sion in the Middle Ages. As I said, there are any number of chivalric orders in those days. Yes, there was a Merovingian dynasty that flourished in France before the age of Charlemagne. Yes, there was a Jewish community in southern France that Mary Magdalene may have immigrated to. And yes, there is evidence of Valentinian Gnostic Christianity in southern France as early as the 2nd century A.D. Of course, neither the Priory of Zion or or, uh, the authors of Holy Blood, Holy Grail know very much about that, but, but it was true. But And this is a very big but. There is no hard evidence connecting all of these facts and themes. And most importantly, there were no public records or church records of births and lineage kept in Europe before the Crusades. All claims of royal or divine lineage before that era are anecdotal. Also, the so-called secret documents, or dossier secrets, deposited in the French National Archives by the Plantard family in the Priory are typescripts no earlier than 1935. So, is Holy Blood, Holy Grail a hoax? Or more specifically, is the Priory of Zion a hoax? Well, yes, that seems to be the opinion of most of the media and the scholars and most of the scholars of the period. But it's not any more than the Rosicrucians or the Knights Templar connection to Freemasonry, both of which the Priory of Zion claims to have been involved with. There is no proof that there ever was a Rosicrucian society before the advent of Masonry in the early 1700s. And likewise, no proof of Knight Templar involvement in Freemasonry before the early 1700s. The Priory of Zion has co-opted all of these esoteric themes in what may be considered the greatest conspiracy theory (laughs) presented in modern times. Dan Brown dramatized it in his best-selling novel, The Da Vinci Code, in 2003. So to answer our question, even if the Priory of Zion, in its modern form, is no older than the numerous continental versions of Scottish and or Templar masonry that it resembles and claims connection to, we cannot let that supposition discredit its main proposition, which is that Jesus, the Nazarene, was married to Mary Magdalene, and that their family survived in southern France, and or perhaps Britain, and that their offspring and their bloodline was the so-called Holy Grail. The other question we have to answer is their connection to the Merovingians. And this is one of the most imaginative and least circumstantially documented aspects of the whole proposition. But because the honeybee was important to the Valentinians and the Merovingians and the Rognons, I was inclined to accept it. But then, you know, looking back in my in my youth, perhaps misspent youth, I have to admit that when I was 16 years old, I um, I fell for the Shaver mystery, and I you know I I was reading the, the Shaver stuff in Amazing Stories, and this uh, and I. And I believe that um, um, you know, the, the arrows were down there in the caves underground, and and 
and using mind control and with their ray machines and and as I think I've uh, explained earlier, uh, right around the corner from my house, uh, Mary Reeser burned up from the inside out. One of the most uh, amazing cases of spontaneous combustion, and and. <laughs> With the paranoia that goes along with believing in one of these conspiracy theories, I, I thought, oh, my God, they were aiming at me, and they hit her by mistake. <laughs> so, but that was when I was 16, and my and my more savvy uh, friends in the in the science fiction club uh, at, 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 at our high school, they, they 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 talked me out of it. They, and and of course, I also. Uh, realized, you know, when I really got to digging into this uh, holy blood, holy grail thing, that uh, that even though it, it, you know, looked like my my family, uh, the Rognons, might, uh, you know, might have been connected with the Merovingians. At least they they had Merovingian symbols on their uh, on on the family crest. I began to realize that that, that, that all all of this business of the Merovingian line. Uh, that perpetuating the the blood of, of uh, bloodline of Jesus Christ was very very tenuous, and probably and, and actually as far as Holy Blood Holy Grail is concerned, that connection to the Merovingians is the shakiest of all of the things that uh, Pierre Plantard, who was the original architect of this of this hoax, uh, that was that was the shakiest thing that he came up with, and. What he used to uh, justify it was not any kind of connection from uh, uh, from Mary Magdalene down in southern France uh, all, all the way straight through to the Merovingians. He didn't try to do that. He tried to make this this connection by suggesting that the tribe of Benjamin was forced out of of, uh, of Palestine out of, out of out of Jerusalem which was their home turf, by the Romans when in, in 56 A.D., and that they, that they in, the, in the diaspora that followed that, that, event, that, that event, they uh, went on into Greece, and uh, from Arcadia and Greece, they went on into, into Europe, all the way across Europe, and, uh, and mingled with the tribe uh, that became uh, the Merovingians, this, this barbarian tribe that became the Merovingians. And, of course, by the time this tribe uh, got into France, uh, they became quite civilized, actually. They were, they were Romanized, and just like the Britons uh, in King Arthur's time, or right before King Arthur's time, were Romanized. This uh, these uh, this particular barbarian tribe that the Benjaminites um, got into, if if in fact they ever did, that was Plantard's idea. But I have to I have to say this: <coughs> the ideas of, of these so-called lost tribes uh, migrating all over the world. Uh, this is a favorite theme for uh, all kinds of conspiracy people. They've been using the, the, what the oh, the lost tribe ended up becoming uh, the Iroquois Indians, or they ended up becoming, you know, this, this lost tribe or, and, and thing, uh, and the diaspora uh, after, the, after, the, uh, after the Roman 
destruction of the temple. The diaspora then is a later version of of this lost tribes uh, business, which actually got started uh, with uh, the Babylonians, uh, you know, uh, taking the taking the Jews into exile. And then, the, then, then what happened to the other tribes? Well, as we know now, the other tribes were never lost. They were, they were the, the, they were the Canaanites and, and the Phoenicians. <laughs> they were never lost at all. But, but that uh, started all kinds of hoaxes. Um, one of the things about the Merovingians, though, that that is very interesting. They're very, very legendary people, and and they wore their hair long. And this was uh, supposedly uh, like Samson, you know, they, they, the strength was in their hair, and the men wore their hair along. Uh, one of them, uh, one of the, the earliest, uh, the, not the founder of the Merovingian line, uh, Miro, uh, had supposedly uh, sex with a, uh, with a, uh, well, the lady who who was related to, uh, to the Grail family, and uh, and and she went then she went swimming in a lake, and, and right after he had had sex with her and a merman, you know, a, a, an, an undying elemental male undying elemental raped her underwater, so she supposedly gave birth to a. Uh, uh, to one of the first Merovingian kings, uh, who was supposed to share uh, this was a shared seed or a, a dual seed of, uh, of the Merovingians and uh, and uh, a and a water spirit, Poseidon, if you if you will. Uh, that of course, that legend is one that is recounted in the. In the uh, dossier secrets, and and uh, this this thing has been picked up by the the uh, fundamental Christian critics of this whole business, and to indicate that the Merovingians were not not holy; they weren't carrying on the holy line of Christ. They were the Antichrist. They were they were satanic, supposedly. And so there's you can find on the internet you can find uh, uh, descriptions of the Merovingians as being satanic and and uh, and fostering the Antichrist. So this thing, this whole business, didn't just uh, generate the Da Vinci Code. It also generated a number of other uh, publications that are. Uh, equally, uh, equally criticizable, and uh, you know this fellow Gardner's uh, bloodline thing. In fact, the whole bloodline business, this holy blood, holy grail, starts off this whole bloodline business, and we even have bloodlines of the Illuminati, you know, and all of that. And, and if there's that, that of course is a, a contradiction in terms. Bloodlines of the Illuminati because they were anti. The Illuminati were anti-heredity. Uh, 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 they 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 believed that you know they were the ones that, that promoted the idea that all men are created equal, and therefore we can't we heredity should not be uh, considered. And uh, by the way, 
uh, it's interesting to note that uh, of all the the secret societies like the Rosicrucians uh, and the Knights Templar and all these different secret societies that the uh, Priory of Zion is supposed to have been connected with, the Illuminati is never mentioned. They are never mentioned, yet their principles, uh, the principles of, of, uh, of uh, true Christianity, you know, against private property and all that. Yeah, that, that's, that, that is, is figured in. But, but they themselves are not mentioned at all, which is a kind of a curious thing. Uh, also, too, another thing that I am that I'm concerned about is apparently uh, Pierre Plantard, the man who created all of this in France and who deposited these secret, these modern transcripts of ancient secret documents in the in the French archives. To, to, to get this thing going, to get this this, this going, he also uh, inspired a novelist uh, to write uh, a, a novel uh, on this, sort of a sort of a pre-Da Vinci Code kind of a thing, and uh, the uh, this novel was what attracted uh, the British Broadcasting Company, that's Henry Lincoln. And, and his colleagues uh, to this this whole business was was this novel, and the novel um, the novel was called Le Trésor Maudit by Gerard de Sade. It was a mystery story, lightweight, entertaining blend of historical fact, genuine mystery, and conjecture. It might have remained consigned. Uh, to the post-holiday oblivion of such reading, had I not stumbled upon a curious and glaring omission in its pages. The accursed treasure of the title had apparently been found in the 1890s by a village priest through the decipherment of certain cryptic documents unearthed in his church. And although the purported texts of two of these documents were reproduced, the secret messages said to be encoded within them were not. The implication was that the deciphered messages had again been lost. And yet I was... So this is what started uh, Henry Lincoln and the BBC off on this post. And then we come to find out that uh, Pierre Plantard, uh, the French um, the French hoaxer who started all of this, uh, was, was an associate of the author, uh, Gerard de Sade. And so, what is this mystery of this French priest? And, and uh, this gets Henry Lincoln and his BBC crew off uh, into southern France to do a History Channel-type documentary. Now, the first chapter in, the, in, in Holy Blood, Holy Grail is called The Village of Mystery. René Le Chateau. And the priest, Berenger Saunier. Now, this 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 priest is apparently a very well-educated man, and uh, and uh, this is back in the 1890s. He's very very well-educated, uh, but he's he's out of favor with uh, with his diocese, and they assign him to this little this little old uh, medieval village. Uh, down in southern France, 
called Renee's Le Chateau, and uh, he takes up his uh, residence there, and he actually is pretty happy about it because uh, the place has a lot of historical significance. It's down there in the uh, in, in uh, the area that used to be called Long Dock, and this is the um, you know where the where the Cathars uh, had their had their had their uh, their tragic defeat in uh, the Albigensian Crusade, and it was so it was steeped in in uh, the area was steeped in legend and tradition, and so the the priest uh, kind of enjoyed his his assignment, uh, and and he found. Uh, not only did he find secret documents, but he also found something very, very, very valuable. Because from being a poor man, uh, when he when he arrived, he then became very soon he became very, very, very wealthy. And uh, the assumption that some people were making was that he had found that he had found a treasure. And uh, and in fact, he he became so wealthy and, and that he built a that he built a tower uh and dedicated it to Mary Magdalene. And uh and then he had a in, in this tower he had a chapel and he had a statue statue of Asmonteus the demon. And uh so of course this started off all kinds of rumors and whatever you can imagine. And uh, uh what was this secret that he had discovered and, and uh and of course, uh, uh, and where did all this wealth come from? Well, he kept his he kept his secret uh, all the way to the grave, and and uh, and uh, and his girlfriend, uh, who lived with him, uh, she uh, before she died, uh, the French uh, French government had uh, changed its currency, and uh, she had all these. These uh, thousands and thousands of, of franc notes from the old currency, and rather than turn them in like everybody else was, everybody else was turning in their currency for the new issue. She she burned it. She burned uh, millions of, of dollars worth of worth of franc notes from this old currency, and so nobody uh, nobody knows what what it was that uh, that they found and and uh, and. Uh, and it's been suggested that maybe it was the Templar treasure. And uh, now, let me backtrack on that a little bit, and, and uh, because this this uh, old holy blood, holy grail thing that that this 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 hoax of the of the uh, Priory of Zion that uh, Mr. Plantard created, and with the help of of, uh, of the novelist. Uh, this a day, and uh, and then eventually, with the help of, of, of Henry Lincoln, the BBC, and and the rest of them, and and finally Dan Brown, and they all contributed to this thing. Uh, the, uh, uh, the the treasure that 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 may have been part of what uh, was the Pernay Chateau uh, documents and and relics pointed to could have been. Could have been the temple treasure that that the Romans brought out of the temple in Jerusalem when they when they took the temple before they destroyed it back in 56 A.D. They um, they took 
the restored the new Ark of the Covenant, the menorah, and and uh, and uh, all of the sacred vessels, because all of those were you know they were lost they were lost when Solomon and Solomon's original temple, but then they were recreated in in Herod's temple, and the Romans took them back to Rome. Well, that's where they stayed. They stayed in the Roman treasury until the Visigoths. Uh, in a couple of, I forget exactly the date on that, but, you know, 200, around 200 and so A.D., the Visigoths sacked Rome. The Visigoths were, were a barbarian tribe, not quite as barbaric as some people would like to think, but, but they were still, they were a barbarian tribe, and they sacked Rome, and they hauled the treasure off. Well, the Visigoths were, at that time, living in southern France and the Pyrenees over into Spain and whatever. So maybe the temple treasure ended up somewhere in southern France. It could have. And uh, that's one of the treasures that, that uh, you know, that we, we're talking about in Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Uh, and, uh, and the priest may, may, have, uh, may have found it. Whatever he found, he, he, he took the mystery with him when he died. Now, the next part of the book, second chapter, calls, is called The Cathars and the Great Heresy, the Albigensian Crusade, the Siege of Monsignor, the Cathar Treasure, and the Mystery of the Cathars. Well, I think we've been through this before on other episodes of the Hermetic Hour, but if not, we'll, we'll recap it. The Cathars were one of a number of Gnostic heresies. As I believe we have discussed before, and probably most of you are aware, Christianity was originally Gnostic. And the Christianity of the Holy Grail, of course, of the, Mary, of, of the idea that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene, is Valentinian. Now, the Cathars, there's no... There's no proof that the Cathars were Valentinian. We do know the Valentinians were certainly in in southern France uh, around about 200 A.D. We know that because we have we have records of that. Uh, but whether how much they may have influenced the Cathars, I can't. I I, I I don't want to say. But the Cathars were a particular did not believe in the crucifixion, and they didn't believe in that that. Uh, in a physical Christ, they believed that Jesus was was never actually physical; that he was that he was completely supernatural. They were very devout, and the only gospel that they used was the Gospel of John, which, of course, is the most mystical of, of all the gospels. And they were very, very prominent and in uh, in uh, in this area of southern France right up against the Pyrenees. From Marseille on over to the to the to the Pyrenees is an area that referred to as, as Languedoc. And uh the Cathars and you know, and a lot of them were leftover Visigoths and and they also a lot of them were later members of the Knights Templar because the Knights Templar who were founded in uh, in 1099 in in, uh, in uh, Palestine, the Knights Templar owned huge tracts of land and and, uh, and castles and, and 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 all in southern France. 
and so many of the many of the Knights Templar were were uh, members of the Cathar sect, and the Cathars were so effective in their in their preaching and in their in their religious purity that they were completely eclipsing the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church in southern France. The Catholic churches were standing empty. Nobody was coming to Mass. They were all going to Cathar meetings. And the Cathars held their meetings in their homes. Uh, they didn't have churches. And they held them in their homes and outdoors. And they they were very, you know, they were sworn to poverty and, and, uh, and very pure. And this, of course, infuriated the Roman church. They thought that if this Cathar heresy spread, it would drive out Catholicism. It's not difficult to understand. This is kind of a, an earlier version of Martin Luther's situation. The church had become so corrupt, and this was, you know, we're, we're talking about the early Middle Ages here, you know, the ninth century and, and uh, the 10th century, and they become so corrupt that the people would, you know, be much more attracted to, to the Cathar uh, religion, but the church decided that they would have a crusade against these Cathars. And, of course, they got the, the northern, they got the, the Germanic duchies and baronies and all this. They got them in this army to come down into southern France and perpetrate this horrible thing called the Albigensian Crusade, which, which we discussed earlier on the show. And it was, it was a genocide. And also, as a part of this Albigensian Crusade, spawned the formation of the Dominican Order. And the Dominicans were the people who ran the Holy Inquisition, and, uh, which wasn't all, which wasn't just Spanish, not at that time. And so the Albigensian Crusade proceeded in the 13th century. It proceeded down into southern France, and they killed everybody, men, women, and children. They, 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 and they looted and they, they, they destroyed everything. They, the town of Bizerres was one that they laid siege to. And it was estimated that half the town were loyal Roman Catholics and the other half were Cathars. And when they were about to reach the walls, the head of the engineers to the, the Grand Marshal, the Montfort, and said, "Well, we're just about to breach the walls. What are your orders concerning the uh, concerning the people inside? You know, half of them are good Roman Catholics, and the other half are Cathars. What are we going to do?" And Montfort is supposed to have said, "Oh, kill them all. God will sort them out." And that's where that supposedly came from, which which they did. They killed them all, everybody in the whole town, about twenty thousand people, and um, that's where also. Not only does the expression kill them all, let God sort them out, come from Bezerra's, but also the expression the gutters ran red with blood because Bezerra's was a hilltop town and it had gutters uh, running down the center of the streets and they literally did run red with blood. But the main thing, the main battle or siege that we're concerned with in Holy Blood, Holy Grail is the siege of Monseigneur or what is referred to as uh, Montsalvat in, in Parseval, the Grail Castle. And this was a fortress 
on the top of a hill, right in the foothills of the Pyrenees. It was almost like Masada in, in Palestine. And the Cathars held out. They held out for, oh, almost a year. And uh, they were surrounded by these, these crusaders. And finally, just before they, they were uh, finally overwhelmed, three people fell down the side, the steep side of the fortress and the mountain. They actually did. They, they were on repel. And down they went carrying something, bundles, and uh, it's been suggested that, that, well, they got the treasure out earlier. And that, that they had a tunnel that they, they got the treasure out. But what was it that these three guys that came down the hill on repel, what was it that they were carrying? And uh, that's another mystery. We don't know. The Holy Grail? Well, Wolfram von Essenbach said the Holy Grail was a was a stone from the stars, and uh, nothing nothing to do with Christianity. It was a stone from the stars, and Schrant in Etoile he said that the Holy Grail was a was a feeding vessel, and uh, but one thing we know about the Holy Grail though it was always born by a woman, and that of course is a clue to the idea that um, uh, that Mary Magdalene that her womb is actually the Holy Grail, you know. That Now, where are the Cathars hiding the Grail family? Well, that's what a, what a number of people have thought, including the Nazis. And uh, the Nazis uh, were digging around once a year during World War II. And before World War II, Ernst Grom, the Nazi scholar, had been doing research down in that area. Obviously, Pierre Plantard... Is going to is going to include the Cathars and Monsignor uh, and the treasure uh, in his in his uh, uh, scenario that he's developing. And curiously enough, the Knights Templar were not involved, refused to be involved in this Albigensian Crusade. Well, it's not surprising because a lot of them were Cathars. They had castles and and land in that area. This may have contributed to some degree in their being destroyed just a hundred years or so later. The fact that they had not participated in the Albigensian Crusade. And they were accused of heresy and and all sorts of perversions and and whatever. The Templars, as we have discussed earlier, the Templars were very, very, very wealthy. And according to Priory of Zion, Landard claims that the Priory of Zion actually actually was responsible for, for founding the Templars. And that Priory of Zion was supposedly, according to Holy Blood, Holy Grail, the Priory of Zion was the secret organization behind the Templars. Well, that probably is not true, but um, it makes a good story. But anyway... Godfrey de Bouillon, the uh, the first king of Jerusalem, was a was was a Templar. The Templars were were founded in 1099, and and they were supposed to guard the, uh, you know, they were supposed to guard the routes to the Holy Land, just for the pilgrims. But there was only nine of them, and and they went to Jerusalem, and took up residence uh, under the Temple Mount in in Solomon's underground stables. And then they started digging. 
So they were more interested in archaeology than they were in, in protecting uh, pilgrims. There was only nine of them anyway. And and as we all know, we discussed a couple of weeks ago, they found something. We don't know what they found, but, but whatever it is, they found something. It could have been more more treasure or scrolls or tablets or whatever. We don't know what they found. But that's another another treasure that the Priory of Zion claims to, uh, to have. And the Templars rose up and became the most powerful international organization in Europe. They, of course, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, they were strongly allied with the Republic of Venice. And the Templars started, actually invented modern international banking. You might say they invented the credit card. Well, actually, it was a letter of credit or the check, you know. Let's, let's say if you were a merchant and you were going to sail from uh, Venice to, to Acre in Palestine, you could get a letter of credit. You could deposit, you know, a large sum of money uh, in Venice to a, in a Templar bank, and they would issue you a letter of credit in cipher probably, in which you could take to a Templar bank in Acre when you got to Palestine and cash it in. And you would have, you know, be like a, an American Ex- uh, an American Express uh, check, you know, you cash it in, and you'd have money for your for your sojourn in, in in Palestine. They did this all over Europe and and the Middle East, and of course they were the force behind the Kingdom of Jerusalem, which lasted for 300 years until it finally fell. And those of you who have seen the Kingdom of Heaven, you are aware of the fall of Jerusalem, and uh, the Templars lost Jerusalem. That's that was obviously they Saladin defeated them and, and they they lost Jerusalem, which probably was one of the reasons why they were they were suppressed. But on uh, Friday the thirteenth, they were all arrested all over France, and the King of France and the Pope both uh, you know wanted to confiscate their treasure, but they had advance warning. Of, uh, of of this this night of the long knives that was inflicted on them. They had advance warning. They got their treasure out, and that's and and they and they hidden it. Who knows where? They are, of course, probably as I am. They claim they know where. Anyway, that brings us up to the Rosicrucians. Well, the Priory of Zion claims that they started the Rosicrucians, and in their list of grand masters. They have Valentine Andrea, the uh, self-admitted author of The Chemical Wedding, as one of their grandmasters. Just to give you an idea of the scope of this, this conspiracy, let's start with 1188 with Jean de Gazors, uh, and he was grandmaster from 1188 to 1220, and after him, Marie de St. Clair, 1220 to 12 uh, to 1266, and after uh, after uh, Marie de Saint and I assume that sounds like a woman. And we have several female names in here, so they, apparently there were some ladies that were that were uh, grandmasters of the temple of the uh, Priory of Zion, or at least that's what what uh, Plantard would like us to believe. Guillaume de Gazars, and that's 1266-1307. And then as we go on down the list, we get to Leonardo da Vinci, 1510 to 1519. 
And then uh, we go a little further down, we get Robert Flood, 1595-1637. And then after Robert Flood, Johann Valentine Andrea, 1637-1654. And then we get Isaac Newton, and then James uh, Charles Radcliffe, Charles de Lorraine, Maximilian de Lorraine, and Charles Nodier, and Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo comes in 1844-1885. And then Claude Debussy, 1885-1918. And finally, Jean Cocteau. 1918, and at the time Holy Blood, Holy Grail came out, he was, Jean Cocteau was still alive. Now, Jean Cocteau, by the way, was a poet, an artist, and a filmmaker, French, and he did Beauty and the Beast, first the first version of Beauty and the Beast on film, and Disney's got, got another version of that going on right now, uh, live action. And Cocteau's black and white film is just really beautiful. But the most magical film that in some ways ever made on a, on a, on a shoestring budget was Orpheus by Jean Cocteau. And Jean Cocteau was certainly an occultist. And whether he ever was really the grand master of the Priory of Zion, we just, if, you, if you think so, you're just going to have to take uh, Pierre Plantard's word for it. I'm not sure that... that that he was, but uh, but, but they, they claim him anyway. The, the Rosicrucians, of course, the uh, uh, Valentine Andrea, in the uh, chemical wedding, there is a, a play, a drama, and a drama about a princess who goes through all kinds of trials and tribulations and finally marries the prince. And this drama is supposedly related to Jesus and the Magdalene, according to Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and uh, Valentine Andrea wrote The Chemical Wedding and, and the drama within The Chemical Wedding. And uh, we have that, uh, you know, we did a, a, a show on that. <laughs> so, uh, and we will we'll also be publishing uh, our version of The Chemical Wedding in this forthcoming second volume of Hermetic Yoga, the Rosicrucian Yoga book. And we were, interestingly enough, we figured out the the structure of the chemical wedding, and, and I believe we were the we were the first people to actually figure out the mystery and structure of the chemical wedding. It's actually based on Christian Rosenkreutz's horoscope, and uh, we're the first ones to come up with that. So maybe my three golden bees on the shield are good for something. I don't know. The Prairie of Zion goes on into the separation, you know, when the Catholic Church broke, uh, the, the British under King Henry broke from the Catholic Church, there was a giant elm tree somewhere in Brittany. It's this huge elm tree. And the British knights and the French knights, uh, nobles, used to meet at this elm tree. And uh, finally the elm tree got cut down, and that, of course, symbolizes the split between the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church. But the Templars and the Priory of Zion supposedly continued their influence in England. And, of course, if, if Robert Flood's going to be a grandmaster, obviously that's, that's going to be the case. I'm, I'm going, what I'm doing here is I'm going through the contents, the annotated contents of the book 
as an outline. So they're claiming that the Rosicrucian manifestos were produced by by Valentin Andrea, who was one of their one of the uh, that's one of the uh, members of the Priory of Zion, according to this. One of the things that really really threw me for a loop was when they took credit for the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. I just about wanted to, you know, to pull my bees off off my crest at that point. By the way, let me mention something about those bees. Uh, they're golden bees, and according to uh, some, this is uh, the origin of the fleur-de-lis, that's the symbol of France, supposedly comes from the golden bees that the Merovingians venerated. And these golden bees were so important that Napoleon, when he was about to be crowned emperor, he opened up old King Clovis's tomb, took them, the golden bees off of his his robe, his robe, and put them on, and Napoleon put them on his robe when he was crowned emperor of France. That's how important they were. Now, um, we should mention that Clovis was the great king of the Merovingians. He was the first Christian king. The Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, made him, baptized him. Uh, this is back in, in, in the 600s. They baptized him and converted him to Christianity. What he had been before, you know, they say he was a pagan, but that could have included a Gnostic version of Christianity because the Visigoths at that time a lot, most of them were Aryan Christians, and that's a version of Christianity. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with with uh, the Aryan race or anything like that. It's A R I A N, and what it means is is that Jesus was a human being all the way. He had no, he was not divine at all. Uh, he was a human being. In other words, he was a prophet, and uh, that was the Aryan Christianity. And a lot of the Visigoths were Aryan Christians, so. What what Clovis may have been Arian, he may have been uh, Valentinian, he could have been a lot of things, but supposedly the Roman Catholic Church baptized him and converted him. And and what they wanted to do was make him into the first Holy Roman Emperor. This was something that later they did with Charlemagne. And there's a very interesting story about this, and how true it is I don't know because it issues from, you know, the Priory. So the story goes like this. The Clovis was given a pact. He made a pact with the, with the Roman, uh, with the Pope, and with the Roman Church that the Merovingians were going to be the dynasty of the Holy Roman Emperor Empire. But somehow, somewhere along the line, after Clovis died, the Church decided they didn't want the Merovingian to. to uh, they didn't want to keep this pledge to the Merovingian dynasty. So they conspired to have one of the Merovingian kings assassinated. And then they made the uh, the Carlaginians. That was a dynasty founded by Charles Martel. Now Charles Martel was one of the one of the mayors, prime minister actually, under one of the Merovingian kings. And he was famous for driving the Muslims out of France. Uh, this is Charles Martel. And uh, he was not a Merovingian, but he was a prime minister for one of the Merovingian kings. And he drove, at the Battle of Tours, he drove the Muslims back across the Pyrenees 
into Spain and kept them out of France. And when the sitting king died, uh, Martel could have taken the crown, but he he didn't. He refused it. He was still loyal to the Merovingian dynasty, and his successor, Charles the Great, Charlemagne, was told to come down to Rome, and that he was he was going to be given an honor, instead of just giving him a giving him a knighthood or whatever it was they they promised him, they crowned him. The Pope crowned him in Rome and made him the Holy Roman Emperor. And Charlemagne didn't he didn't really want to accept it. Charlemagne himself was still loyal to the Merovingians. But the church did this on purpose. They wanted to get out of their, their pact with the Merovingian dynasty. Now this is and if this is true, this is very, very interesting because Charlemagne, of course, as as we all know, was the great was the great king of, of France, Charles the Great, and he was the Holy Roman Emperor. This Holy Roman Empire, by the way, this thing recurred over and over and over again in European politics, the Holy Roman Empire, so many times, and there were conspiracies about it, and and the Habsburgs were involved in it, the Austria, uh, Hungarian family, and the Holy Roman Empire was also something that the Priory of Zion, that Pantard claimed the Priory of Zion was involved with, and finally, as we will see when we get toward the toward the end of this, the ultimate agenda of the Priory of Zion in, in modern times now, the ultimate agenda was to reestablish the Holy Roman Empire and uh not of Charlemagne now, but but of of, uh, of the Merovingians as it as it was originally intended. It sounds almost like a blueprint for the for the European Union. And this is back, you know, back before the European Union was founded. Uh, Plantard was was uh, imagining this and having this as an agenda. And this is this is really kind of. Uh, however, I think more than uh, than Clovis, I think what France needs right now is not not the European Union or the Holy Roman Empire. What France re- needs right now is a Charles Martel. The European Union is not something that uh, that has done very much good for France. Pierre Plantard has since recanted all of this, and he's he says, "Oh, we can't trace the bloodlines; it's just too far back." And he said, "No, we don't have any political agenda, and you know, and all that." And he's 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 back down on a lot of this on a lot of this uh, stuff. So anyway, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, is one of the great conspiracy theories or hoaxes of of modern times. I kind of entertained it privately. Fortunately, I was wise enough to keep my private feelings about possibly being related to the Merovingians to myself. And I'm admitting it now because, you know, uh, you know this, is, this is something that, that uh, fascinated me. I figure if I can admit that I fell for the Shaver mystery when I was 16 years old, I can I can admit that I entertained my Merovingian fantasies uh, a little bit. And who knows? However, however, I firmly believe, and I believe we have proof of it. Even though uh, they've over see they've overlooked the Priory, the Plantards, and Henry Lincoln and all and his bunch. And, Jim, and and Dan Brown, they have overlooked 
the big, big facts behind and, and historical facts behind the Jesus and Mary Magdalene uh, situation in southern France. They've overlooked it. And I firmly believe that, yes, yes, Mary Magdalene and, and possibly Joseph of Arimathea, but certainly Mary Magdalene did get to southern France and that there really was a, a real family. And I think that um, that we have evidence that that is actually better than what Plantard was able to uh, to collect historical evidence, and which we will publish in in uh, in, in the Rosicrucian Yoga book coming up. And so that's that's Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and uh, tune in next week, and we'll we'll get back into more mysteries of of magic and until then good magic